don't do the most, but I do a lot. I'ma make a toast, cause we still alive. No big, I feel like Pac. I shoot a shot. I'm coming in hot. everybody what's going on this is Aisham again with another episode of ice cold facts uh today i got a very special guest um he's not uh your typical st louis guy he's not even from st louis uh so we get to deviate from from all of that st louis talk for a while and um we get to talk some real basketball with the head coach of tennessee state university mr brian Penning collins how you doing this morning sir man doing good man i appreciate you having me on I appreciate you taking the time and, you know, uh, being able to come on and just shed some light on what it's like being a, a not only a Division One coach, but a young black Division One coach. So, um, you know, we'll we'll kick right into gear and just tell the people a little bit about who you are. Well, you know, I'm, um, like I said, I'm coaching the Tennessee State. It's, it was always a dream, dream of mine to be a head coach and to be a head coach at Tennessee State. You know, I grew up here in Nashville, but I was born and raised in Memphis. Okay. Uh, son of a coach. So been around the game my entire life. Okay. And, uh, man, really just feel like I'm living a, uh, just a lifelong dream every single day, man. So we got a beautiful okay. family, wife, and got one son named History. And, uh, man, our, our goal is to make Tennessee State ranked in the country. Okay, nice. Now, Tennessee State is there. You guys are technically considered an HBCU, correct? Yes. Okay, nice, nice. Um, so where did the nickname Penny come from? How did that come about? So, you know, I was from Memphis, so uh, Penny Hardaway was my favorite player growing up. Okay. So when I moved to Nashville, uh, in my neighborhood, there was another Brian in our neighborhood. And I used to always wear uh, Penny Hardaway jerseys uh, uh, gotcha. outside playing. And that was right around the time the Penny Hardaway commercials were really, really getting popular and people were wearing uh, Penny Hardaway shoes. And, yeah. you know, and it was kind of like a joke. Like, they was, since that's Brian, we're going to call you Lil Penny the doll. Like, because I used to wear the Penny jersey all the time. Okay. So my nickname was Lil Penny forever. And I, I was real small too. So uh then I ended up growing, man. I was like five nine and I grew from Lil Penny. I grew from Lil Penny at five nine to by the time I was a senior in high school, I was six four. Nice. And so and I played okay. the point. So, you know, they dropped the Lil Penny and just started calling me Penny. And that gotcha. kind of that kind of just stuck, man. And I ended up having a pretty good career as a, as a player as well. Okay. So did you kind of pattern your game after Penny? Um, you know, as far as him being a big, I think he's six seven, so a six seven point guard. You know, right. being able to drive to the basket, shoot, dish the ball. You kind of patting your game after him. Yeah, of course, man. I love, I love his game. I used to watch every time I could watch the Orlando Magic play, and even when I, even when he was at Memphis State, I went and watched him play in college. Okay. And, uh, and I just always try to, you know, do things he would do, make moves he would make, and. Uh, you know, being a tall point guard, you know, obviously wanted to emulate that as well. So he's yeah. definitely somebody I always looked up to as a player. And he was my favorite player, you know, Michael okay. Jordan and then Penny Hardaway. That was my two two guys I always hang my hat on. Yeah. I think Penny, uh, he he could have gotten a ring at some point had Jordan. Jordan just spoiled it for everybody in the 90s. So, you know, yeah. I, was a, I was a Bulls fan first like you, Jordan. But then the Penny Shaq era, I mean, that was – to me, that's still one of the best duos. You know, that they're my top five, top five duos, Penny and Shaq. Um, yeah, man. And it, you know, the thing about Penny Hardaway, at that time, you had people like Michael Jordan crowning Penny as being the next great. You yeah. Know, Magic Johnson was saying he was the next great. 
And, you know, the greats that we watch now, like LeBron James, his mm -hmm. favorite player growing up was Penny Hardaway, you know? So yeah. it just goes to show you the influence that he had on a lot of people in our generation. Yeah, yeah, he just got the injury bug. And, you know, unfortunately, we just never saw him really blossom to the, because he would have been a superstar. Like you said, the commercials, mm -hmm. I mean, in, in that era, you know, the, with Chris Rock doing the little Penny Dow voice. Right. I mean, that, that, was, that was unheard of at that time. So yeah. he was transcending the game, you know, with being a media mogul. And like, you, like I said, he just injuries, you know, he, he, yeah. he got the whiff of it. And, you know, him, Grant Hill, a lot of guys that you just you didn't get to see the best of, unfortunately. So um, I know you mentioned your dad was a coach. Um, tell us a little bit about that, you know, as far as his success at, at the coaching level. Was he a high school, college? Yeah, well, so my dad, you know, he played, um, he played college ball. You know, he played – he started off his career at, at Middle Tennessee State and went on to play at UT Martin okay. to finish his career. And uh, he, had some, he had a really good college career, and he got right into coaching as soon as he graduated. Okay. So he just recently um, – I say recently because he, re he retired after 40 years of coaching high school basketball, and he coached a, a lot of really good players. And um, he's been all over and won a lot of games. Okay. Uh, he was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame of Metro Sports here in Nashville. Okay. And Congratulations he, on that. Uh, appreciate that. We're really excited. And right after that, he got inducted last year. He got inducted into Cumberland University because he played one year of junior college basketball at Cumberland University. Okay. And they just inducted him into the Hall of Fame there. So, right. um, you know, he's he's been around the game for a really long time. And and uh, when, I ha when I had the opportunity to be the head coach at Columbia State Junior College, in 2013, mm -hmm. uh, after my first season going into year number two, uh, my dad was retired and, you know, just sitting at home. And I asked him, would he want to come help me out? Just come yeah. volunteer and help help his, help his son out and staff and work with me. And he said he decided to come down there. And uh, I don't think it was no uh, secret that we went from, you know, uh, a mediocre junior college team. We won 11 games. And then right. the next year we won, we were 28 and two. And we were number two, we were number three in the country. In junior college okay. basketball, nice. And uh, my dad was on that staff, you know, that that first year, and he had a lot of good things to say and a lot of good wisdom. And and then the next year he was back again, and we went back to back. Uh, okay. We went back to back to the national tournament. So, and then I left him with the East Tennessee State. So when I went to East Tennessee State and then Illinois State and came back to Tennessee State after my first year at uh, Tennessee State, we won nine games uh, last year. Okay. So I, once again, my dad was sitting around the house. I said, "Man, why don't you come and be my senior, <laughs> my senior advisor." Gotcha. Uh, this 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 past, this past season, he was our senior advisor, and he was at every every practice and uh, and, and staff meetings. He gave a lot of input, and he's just a legendary coach, and he has that presence about about him. Okay. And uh, just like all the coaches that came up in our generation, like we had when they walked in the room, we had fear, and when they yeah. said something, we were quiet. And it just was, you know, it's this is a little different in this generation now. But um, you know, those OG coaches that we had a lot of respect for. My pops is on the staff now, and, you know, we, we, we doubled up the win total from a nine-win team last year to 18 this year. Nice. And, uh, I, I would like to say I'm, 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 I'm going to go ahead and give him all the credit, you know, because he's okay. no pops. But okay. we, also, we also just had a lot of – we had a really good year and uh, a lot of new guys. And, uh, and just I'm just lucky to have uh, somebody like my dad to be able to bounce ideas off of. Right. Uh, it's a part of my family. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I mean, to – to have someone, I mean, it sounds like he's had a decorated career. Um, I'll throw the title out there of him being a legend. You know, you yeah. don't you don't make it 40 years and, and not be able to get that title. So 
Um, I mean, that's good. And then, like you said, the success follows him. You know, you he, he's double wins for you and just being that presence. Um, mm-hmm. So as a kid, you know, him being a coach, you being a young player, um, you know, what type of influence did he have on your game? Was he out there working with you? Was he, you know, as a coach, I'm a coach myself, and I try not to be hard on my kids. Um, so I've got three kids, two boys and a girl. Uh, my youngest and uh, middle child, they're the, they're the hoopers of the family. And I try not to be too hard on them. So is that something, like, what was the the environment like in your house growing up with your dad being a coach? You know, I think I, I, I'm one of them rare, rare ones, man, that my dad didn't, he never, ever forced basketball on me. Okay. Uh, never uh, made me go to the gym or made me go outside and shoot or you come to work out today or, or when he would, a lot of times when we played, he played, so he didn't get a chance to see me play a lot. But when he did watch me play, it was never, you didn't do something right. He was always positive. He never okay. like bashed me when I played, played bad or we lost a game. It was always positive. Like I can never remember one time where I felt frustrated with my dad getting on me about having a bad game. Like he, he was extremely positive in every aspect. Okay. One, one slogan he, he would always say was, give me 10 in the win. Okay. But that means that meant get double figures at least and and get and get a win. So not too hard, to, not too hard to say. And I, you know, what I thought was odd is that I was looking at my college stats at Belmont and I averaged ten points in my career. <laughs> That's that, that stuck with you then. Yeah, yeah I should have said give me that ten. Dad should have said twenty in a win. What was he right. about? Right, <laughs> boost you up a little bit. Yeah, but. uh <laughs> But yeah, he was, I mean, he was always extremely positive and okay. like, I, I, I always felt myself asking him, where, where you finna go? Oh, we got practice this morning. I'm going with you. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm riding with you. Like I always wanted to go to the gym when he was, uh, when I was younger and even, even into my high school and college days, you know, it'd be that it would, when I was at Belmont and they would be having practice over Christmas break, I would go to some of his practices when I was in college and I'd go practice against his guys and, and play. So. Okay. You know, I've always just wanted to be in the gym with him. And he would always, like, if I started shooting, he never, like, was one of those dads, like, I'm going to work you out today. Yeah. Like, I, I would just start shooting after practice or something. He would just be down there rebounding for me. Yeah. And he would, you know, just not – and with no intentions of when we're going to stop. It might be an hour and a half. He just rebound, rebound, shooting, yeah. shooting, 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 shooting. So stuff like that, man. So I, I just – I had the best dad in terms of somebody not trying to push him and overkill it or, or nothing right, like that. Right. Or something really negative on him. And uh, and it pan, it really worked out for me. So I, you know I, that's why I hate it when I see these pop, a lot of uh, people's pops being real negative and oh man <laughs> oh man on their sons because you know I didn't go through that and and I uh, I had a lot of success. Yeah, I mean a lot a lot of times now you know and you might see it a lot being a college coach um, where parents they're more vocal than than they should be. <clears throat> Excuse me, they um. You know, they kind of throw themselves out there and, and it makes the, the kid look bad because you got these parents demanding all this attention. And I, I've dealt with it as well, where parents just, they feel they need to have that voice. And I'm like, I'm the coach, you're the parent, you know, so you got to draw that line. So it sounds like your dad did a, did a good job with that. Right. Um, and I, and I, I do want to say my dad and my mom, neither one of them ever said two words at the game, you know screaming at the coach or mm-hmm. screaming at the referee or even talking to me during the games. I never, they never would talk to me. It, they would, they encouraged me to not even look in the stands at them or yeah. to nobody else, you know, and my mom, bless her heart, she's a coach's wife. Uh-huh. So 
she always had this thing where she would sit high up in the stands because she didn't want to hear people bad mouth bad mouth yeah. on her, her husband. <laughs> and then and now like she's coming to the games at Tennessee State and she's like, You've been that bad mouth bad mouth, my husband or my or my son. Right, yeah. So and like, you know, that takes that takes a lot of lot of lot of will too, man. You gotta understand like a coach's wives and uh coaches moms mm-hmm. like, having to sit in the stands and, and listen to people being negative towards the coach yeah uh, let alone their son it doesn't happen as much it shouldn't happen as much as a son because you're usually sitting around other people's other people's parents and y'all are all cheering for the same yeah. team but the coach man like uh you know gets criticism and, and the parents and the family of that coach gotta sit there and listen to some of that stuff and hold their tongue when yeah. they probably want to turn around and say shut the hell up you yeah. know what i mean <laughs> but uh but yes, yeah, it's, it's a tough job, and I, I've been blessed to have good parents okay. and, and a great wife too. That she deals with the same things, man. She's she's now she's not quiet at history. It's my son's games, though. My wife's not quiet at her yeah. history. <laughs> <laughs> but but she, you know, it's 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 a tough job to be able to handle that pressure of, uh, you know, hearing people badmouth the people that you Definitely. love. You'll hold your tongue. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, my wife coaches literally right right beside me. So you see me, you see her, and. Wow. I'm more of the laid back, you know, guy. I let stuff kind of roll off. And my wife is that enforcer, like, what you say? Like, she's she ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's, she's ready. So people, a lot of times, they deflect stuff to, to her, you know, if there's any issues or whatever, because they know, hey, Mrs. Williams, Coach Williams, she's going to be on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, But at the same time, you know, she's got to listen to criticism. And, you know, we have to juggle that, that work-life balance in a sense, you know, so. Talk. How long have you been married? Seven years. Seven years. Nice. Now, how you got your son? History. How old is he? Seven. Seven. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. So yeah, I've been married twelve years. I've got a fourteen-year-old, a twelve-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Oh yeah, y'all wouldn't play. So, yeah, I got the gray hair <laughs> coming in. It's, it's hard to see on this video, but it's there. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> same here. Same here. Mine's like hiding up under my chin, but yeah. <laughs> They make you have it, man. They make you get it quick, don't they? They do. And the coaching along with that. So um, talk a little bit about, like, the work-life balance. You know, you've you've had a long day at the office. You know, then you got to come home. You got to be a father. You got to be a husband. Um, How do you juggle all of that between being a coach, a father, and a husband? I mean, it's tough. You know, you – that's that's the key. Uh, The balance is the key. You know, you – when you're at work, you try to focus on what you got going on. And when Mm -hmm. you come home, it's it's, – it's hard to put put the phone down, but I've, I've been finding myself pre-pandemic, obviously, uh, find myself just like putting my phone on the charger and just leaving it in the room. Yeah, because you, you got to give your your family your undivided attention. You know, you don't want to talk to them and be looking at a text message or take right. a phone call. You know, while you know, a recruiting phone call coming in while you're trying to have some family time, watch a movie or mm-hmm. eat dinner or whatever, and uh, you really just take the time. And the the biggest issue is that you're usually exhausted by the time you get home, and you yeah. know, you, and and your son don't care because they want you to play or you know have that energy. So you gotta you gotta put that thing in second gear and be ready to fight through whatever fatigue you got going on. So true. Um, I, I make sure that you know we carve out as much time as we can. I, all my family is my wife is she real tough because she'll be working all day and picks my son up from school mm-hmm. and. Instead of just coming home and sitting around the house, she'll just bring them on up to the gym, and okay. they'll they'll watch practice and be at practice, and you know we feed our guys after practice, so they'll eat eat with us sometimes and chill and hang out. So 
So. No, I, I, I involve my family as much as I can. And, and I encourage my uh, assistant coaches uh, to do the same thing. They bring their families up there to practice. Okay. Uh, on road trips, when we go on certain road trips that are not long road trips, we, we, right. bring, the fam- we bring the families. I always bring my family. Uh, this year, we we're in Vegas for Thanksgiving. So we bring everybody's family out to Vegas with us. Gotcha. So, no, we just try to do as, as much as we can like that. Okay. To, uh, to, to have as much balance as possible, because it is tough. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, that, that alludes to my next question, you know, as far as the culture at Tennessee State, you know, what do you, um, I know different programs, they, they pride themselves on, you know, doing this versus what another program does. And, but it sounds like the core values of Tennessee State really is family. Um, you know, and I think that's incredible that you guys are, that, that you embody that, you know, you're a leading example you know, and you're encouraging others to, to follow and do the same. So I think that that speaks volumes to your character. So um, is that something you using like a recruiting pitch where you're, you're, you're working on a recruit, you know, are you, you emphasizing that, Hey, we've got a family like culture here at Tennessee state. This is why you should choose us. Is that something you do? Oh, absolutely. We talk about it all the time. You know, I was on a zoom call last night and my assistant coach told some people that, you know, Nobody spends as much time with our players in my 15 years of coaching. And he said, nobody has spent as much time with players as my head coach does. Okay. Uh, and we do. I mean, we spend a lot of time with our guys. We have family atmosphere and we sell that in recruiting. You know, uh, we talk about, you know, different campuses having different gyms and different buildings. And that's great. But, you know, my wife just sprayed the window as we on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's about the people in the buildings. It's not about the buildings. It's about the people inside those buildings and yeah. what kind of relationship are you gonna have with them while you're there? And not only while you're there, what, uh, are they gonna are these gonna be lifelong relationships or, that you're gonna have? And right. that's something that we can hang our hat on at Tennessee State. That once you become a part of our family, we family for life. Okay. You know, I, I just you know any guy that leads our program could tell you that. Gotcha. Now, who are some? Um, I, I saw briefly some of the alumni from Tennessee State. You know, are there some names that you can throw out there that people, you know, might be able to relate to as far as guys that have come through their program? Yeah. Are you talking about, like, the pros? Just pros or, yeah, names that, you know, are recognizable, you know, NBA guys, uh, guys that maybe be in the G League or, or whatnot, you know, who are some, okay. some big names that have come from there? Well, back in the 60s, we had, you know, we were pumping out NBA players. Like, we were, we were the factory. We were the University of Kentucky of college basketball okay. in the 60s. Uh, uh, one of our teams just got inducted into the National Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, 57, 58, 59. They won three straight national championships. Nice. And that was the first, first time in college basketball history that had ever been done, three straight. Okay. And on that team, we had four NBA players. Uh, so, you know, think about that in t- 2020. If we had four NBA players on one team at a HBCU, you know what I'm saying? That, be it's, been done. it's been done before, though. Yeah. Uh, so, um that, that, that team was highlighted by Dick Barnett, Dick Skull Barnett, who went on to play in the NBA. Okay. Uh, 13 plus years, he was an NBA All-Star. Uh, won two championships with the Knicks. So all my Knicks fans out there, y'all struggling. The last time y'all were great was <laughs> when y'all had a team full of HBCU players. Y'all had right. Dick Barnett, Willis Reed from Grandma State, and Earl okay. Earl DePearl Monroe was from uh, Winston-Salem State. So that was the last time the Knicks were good. But uh, yeah, so uh, Dick Barnett, uh, Truck Robinson played in the NBA. Who's like you know the Carl Malone of his age. Roy okay. Neal played uh, for Portland Trailblazers. He was he bagged up Bill Walton on, the, on their NBA championship team. 
we had Ben Worley. Um, moving right along to some people that you might have heard of. Anthony Mason played okay. in the NBA for a long time. Carlos Rogers was drafted after him. And most recently, we've had, we, had, uh, we have Robert Covington, who okay. plays for the Houston Rockets, who was all NBA first team defense last year yeah. with, with the Sixers, when he was with the Sixers. So um, we, Taj McCall was uh, with the Atlanta Hawks and Brooklyn Nets. He signed a couple of 10-day contracts this past year. So okay. we've, had a, we've, had, we've had over 23, we've had 23 guys drafted in the NBA in the history of our program. Gotcha. Um, but there's so much history at Tennessee State. The most famous uh, track athlete in the history of uh, track was Wilma Rudolph. You know, she's a Tennessee State mm-hmm. graduate. Uh, Ed Tutal Jones and Dominique Rogers Camarade. You know, those we have big time names in the NFL. So, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of high level athletes that came out of our institution. Okay. Yeah, and that's something I think people don't don't realize. You know, they a lot of people get stuck in the now. You know, and and what, who are these schools pumping out? Who's going to the league from this school? And I personally would love to see, and I know we can't do any name drops or anything, but I'm seeing guys, high school players tweet, hey, it might not be a bad idea to go to an HBCU and, and things like that. So I think, you know, especially with what's going on now, we need to at least give those HBCs those looks. They, they need to, to get that attention and at least have a chance. You know, because I, I, I'm sure, you know, if you're going after a five-star recruit, you know, and maybe you can elaborate on this a little. You know, if you're going on going at a top-notch recruit, you know, and he's saying he's got Kentucky, Duke, Carolina lined up. As a coach, are you still going to force yourself, you know, to, to be in that mix? Or do you feel that it's going to be a waste of my time and you fall back, you know, as a, as a recruiter? Well, I think, the, I think the biggest thing – no, I'm not going to fall back. If I, okay. if I, it's, all, it's all about relationships. If I have a relationship with that young man and I know we have a chance, a fighting chance, I'm going to swing all the way to the end until gotcha. he makes his decision on decision-making day, you know, whatever that is. But uh, if I don't know the guy and I've never recruited him and never been in there, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to waste my time. You know, uh, recruiting is a relationship-based business. You know, you need to know somebody. You need to know the family. You need to have a relationship with the AU coach, the high school coach. Mm-hmm. And if I'm late to the party, there's no point, you know. Yeah. But unless that kid has told me, I want to come play for Penny Collins in Tennessee State, you know. So, um, but I think the most important thing is, is that what we just talked about, about when you asked me about some of the notable players, mm-hmm. we have to educate our student athletes on um, the history of these programs. Yeah. Uh, you know, making a comment and saying, well, I'm, I'm, I want to be a pro. And let me preface that by saying that everybody's not going to be an NBA player. That's everybody's nice. not going to be an overseas pro neither. Yep. Uh, you know, we actually need more doctors and more lawyers, more teachers, more politicians. You know, we need people like that. So I, I don't want to get that to get this message mixed as if NBA is the only thing that matters. It doesn't. Right. But if a student athlete is saying they want to be an NBA player. So if I want to play in the NBA, there's no reason for me to go to HBCU. That that's not true statement. And our young athletes need to be educated that we have just as many. So yeah. let's take let's take an example right now. I uh, and I don't like name dropping a lot, but I'll do it on your podcast. You're from St. Louis, right? St. Louis, yes, sir. I'm, I'm, I just Google St. Louis. How many players have played in, in the NBA in the history of University of St. Louis? Is that the most popular program in St. Louis? I mean, we can just it's one as of far them. as yeah, in, in yeah. St. Louis, it, it is St. Louis okay. University. So St. Louis has had twelve guys playing the NBA since 1946, all the way to now. Twelve players. You know, so to the naked eye, a kid would probably say, Man, I'm going to St. Louis. If I'm, I'm going to the NBA, I want to go. To, I'm going to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ain't knocking St. Louis. I love 
St. Louis and they head coach and I've got friends up there. So this is not a negative comment towards them. But we've, we've, they've had 12 players playing in the NBA. We've had 13. Okay. That, 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 does that mean that we're a better team than them? No. But what it means is don't discredit Tennessee State is I can't, my dreams can't come true there. Right. We've actually had more NBA players in the NBA than the school that you're saying that you want to go to. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And I'm doing, I'm doing this on the fly right now. I'm, I'm, I'm on the Atlantic 10 schools. So okay. uh, let's pick, let's pick another one. Let's pick, um, shoot, Rhode Island. Okay. I only I know mean, one off the top of my head from Rhode Lamar Odom would be the only one I know from Rhode Island. Okay. Well, they have, they've had 16 players. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. But, but it's not like they've had 46. You see right. what I'm saying? Let's pick, let's pick uh, VCU, another extremely popular program. They've had 11 in the history okay. of their program. You know what I'm saying? So my, my point is, is that you can't, you can't just automatically assume that HBCU like Tennessee State or Grambling State or Southern, mm-hmm. I can't go to one of those schools and be, and be great. When Tennessee State's had, we've had 15, we've had 15 players play in the NBA. We've had 23 players drafted to be exact. I'll give you some exact numbers. Southern University's had 14. Jackson State's had 14 NBA players play in the NBA. So when those numbers are factual numbers, mm-hmm. the perception is I got to go p- play at a power five school to go to the NBA, which is not true when, when some HBCUs have more NBA players than power five schools. Yeah. So the, the, I guess the charge is, is how, how do we get the youth to know the history of some of these HBCUs and to understand that your dreams can come true anywhere, young man. Yes, sir. You know, your talent, your talent is going to be found wherever you go. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the biggest thing for me is to educate uh, the youth so that they're not saying things that are not true about some of these schools that they're, you know, quote unquote, considering, uh, not considering to right. attend to. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's, what, that's, that's my biggest thing. Okay. What's the, um, what's the landscape like uh, in Nashville as far as uh, from a, a prep hoop standpoint? Um, you know, what's the atmosphere like? Is there a, an abundance of talent? You know, I know some cities differ. Um, you know, so what's yeah. the what's the landscape like in Nashville? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a lot of pros that have come out of the city. Um, we have a basketball right now is going crazy right now. We've got this new open runs that we're doing called 615 runs where uh, all the NBA players that are from the city are playing. We got other NBA players coming down here to play. Uh, you know, guys that are played here in the city are coming back, like Rob Covington, who's who's from Chicago area, but played at Tennessee State here in Nashville. Uh, he built his home here in Nashville. Okay. So he's down here hooping in the, in the pro runs. And guys like Ian Clark, who played with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Um, you know, he's uh, played at Belmont here in Nashville. Okay. So he's, he comes back here in the offseason. He was playing, playing out there with those guys, too. And, you know, you look at guys like Darius Garland, who – played the Cavaliers, mm-hmm. uh, played here in Nashville. He was the number one point guard in the country uh, coming out. And uh, guys like James Wiseman this past year, he played in Memphis, uh, another Nashvilleian who's probably going to be a top five pick this year. Yeah. So um, we've, been, we've been cranking out a lot of really good talent. And we got some really good young guys coming up who are, you know, some of the top ranked players in the country. So okay. Nashville is a hotbed of some really, good, really, really good talent. Uh, we, got play- we got players playing all over the country right now. And, uh, you know, we just got to continue to try, try to keep this, some of this homegrown talent at home. But at the same time, uh, I'm just really, really happy to see that national basketball is growing uh, like it is right now. Uh, 
basically saying with the, the whole COVID-19, you know, how's that affected your recruiting, you know, in terms of, I'm sure, you know, we're, we're in June. So by now, you know, you would have been on the, on the, the recruiting trails. So how has the whole pandemic kind of shifted that for you? Man, it's, it's, it's going to really impact the next rec uh, two recruiting classes because they're not being able to see any of the young guys that are, you know, 21s and 22s. And uh, so all the, all the contacts that we're going to be able to make is if we previously have seen them already mm -hmm. or um, relationships, you know. Uh, right now I'm getting a lot of emails about 21s and 22 kids because they're, they're panicking and worried that uh, we're not going to be able to um, – see these young men and yeah. they're like, you know, sending me their highlights and stuff like that. So uh, to not, to not see them in person and see them in a real game situation where things don't go well in a game, you know, that's, that's some of the things I like to see how their mannerisms are when things don't go well and adversity hits and how yeah. coachable are they, you know, do they scrunch their face up and make a little smart little mouth, you know, yeah. how to react to a bad call and some of those real key detailed things that I like to see in recruiting. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to see them uh, on the summer circuit. So, Hopefully, uh, this will be able to open up during the high school seasons. But the thing about high school is that, you know, you maybe have one or one or two per team versus in AU, you're going to see, you know, 300 guys yeah. in, one, in one weekend, you know. Right. So, it's, 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 uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. And, you know, everybody's making – the good thing is uh, nobody's getting some type of an advantage. So, everybody's going to it the same way. And, you know, we're just going to have to make the best of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, and I always felt that, you know, anybody can put together a highlight tape. And, I mean, I came out 2004 from high school. And if social media was around back then, I could have packaged a real nice, you know, little highlight tape and, you know, could have got some high D1 offers based off that. So, I think personally this whole pandemic is going to make the, the kids, they're going to have to work that much harder. You know, mm -hmm. because like you said, you you're missing the mannerisms and, you know, the reactions, the knee-jerk reactions and things like that, you're not being able to see that. So, you know, aside from putting in work on the court, you know, you got to put in work mentally as well. You know, with these players, they've got to sharpen, you know, every every facet of their game, you know, it's my belief. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know, you can get some good recruits out of this still and even maybe defer and, and get some of that homegrown talent. You know, that'd be, that'd be pretty dope, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So as a young coach, as a young black coach, uh, do you feel that you get the respect you deserve? Do you feel you, you get overshadowed because, one, you're young, and then, two, you're, you're African-American out here on a D1, D1 program? I mean, you know, growing up, that's kind of how we've always been taught that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're coming in this thing 10, 10 points behind or 10 steps behind, or you got to be 10 steps better in everything you do. Yeah. So uh, that mentality hasn't changed for me, even 14 years into the game, still like it's new. You know, every, every, every year is, I'm going into a hungry as if we're down 10 every game and every aspect of it, anything is going on. But I, I just, I'm just a strong believer if you, you live your life in excellence and go about your business the right way, keep your nose clean and do what you're supposed to do. Make sure your program is polished and, and your young men are, 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 are handling themselves in, in the top degree way then you'll get what you're supposed to get, you know, in time. You know, uh, do I do do I feel like there's some unfair things that happen as African American coaches? Yeah, of course I do. But uh I don't we don't walk around using it as no crutch. Uh, you know, we keep our head down and keep working. 
Okay. And when, when, when things are supposed to be, they will be, but and it'll be because of the hard work that we put in. So, um, you know, I don't try to go around and hold this no crush, but I'm not naive to the fact that there are a lot of uh, injustices and things that are going on towards yeah. in our profession and of course in the world. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very conscious about that. And not only just me, our players are as well. You know, we talk about that with our guys, uh, not only just talk about it, I mean, we teach about it, we bring people in to speak about it. And uh, we, we have PowerPoint presentations where we make them get notes out and take notes on it. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a very detailed thing that we go through with our guys. And it's, it's, just, it's just as important as a, a play, any play that I could put in. Okay. Just teach, teaching them about how to move in this world, man. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's important. And, you know, sadly, you know, it's 400 years, you know, all we do, we still, we find ourselves talking about the same thing. And, you know, I, I struggle with talking to my two boys about just the, the racial tension that's, that's around in the world. And they, they don't fully comprehend it. And that's always my biggest fear is that my sons won't fully understand. You know, mm-hmm. so as a coach, you being a mentor to those young men, I'm sure that, you know, they, they appreciate that. You know, you're probably looked at as a father figure some to some, to some might be a, a big brother. Um, so, I mean, that that would be a big selling point for me as a recruit. You know, I'm able to go into an institution, build a re- relationship with somebody that looks like me, um, you know, that I don't know how, how you are with the society today as far as the lingo and the music and things like that, but you know, that's always a, a good thing as well when you're just, you're trying to build those relationships. You know, if you look like me, if you talk like me, I, I can rock with you, you know? So um, do you have those conversations with your son or do you feel it's a little too early to, uh, to kind of uh, talk about the racial divide in the world? No, nah, not right now. He's uh, he just now kind of starting to see what's going on on CNN, mm-hmm. things like that. And he's asking questions on why why are they doing this and why are they doing that? But he, he, he still sees black people as, as black, brown, peach, depending on what your color is. You know, he yeah. don't, he don't see, he don't see as two different races or anything like that. Like, okay. um, and, and, and when the time is right, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be able to understand. And, and at the same time, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, these kids don't, we want, I want them to understand the history, but it's like, he doesn't even know. So why? <laughs> Like it, that, that's the craziest thing to me. That's like, yeah, you want them to understand the history of what we've been through because you know they're going to be faced with it at some point, regardless. I don't care how what kind of sheltered life you try to bring up for your kids. At some point, they're yeah. going to face some type of racial injustice or mm-hmm. something. They're going to see something on TV. Something's going to happen eventually. But he doesn't even see it. He doesn't even see a color. He doesn't even see a race. He, you know. He, he's, it don't matter who it is. He's going to go play with them and have fun and talk and communicate with whoever, what color it is. It doesn't yeah. matter. And it's like, I wonder, I always think like the world, all the kids in the world are all born like that. You know, all the kids in the world are born with this. I agree. This, it's not a naive way of thinking because that's the way they should think. Facts. They have a pure way of thinking. And then somewhere down the line, they get corrupted. Mm-hmm. And, um, Unfortunately, my son is going to have to get corrupted at some point and understand the truth, yeah. the harsh truth. And that's sad because I shouldn't have to say anything ever. Yeah. But I'm going to have to because he's going to see it and I don't want him to be caught off guard by it. So right. uh, I don't know when the time is right, but the time is just not yet. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's always a touchy subject, and then when you see everything that's going on around the world, it just it makes it that much harder. Um, so on top of the whole pandemic with the the COVID nineteen, now we're dealing with this as another issue. And you know, um, I always say, you know, when when things are going wrong, one thing that brings everything together is sports. You know, we're even kind of missing that right now. But I think today, uh, the NBA is voting on the uh, the restart. So I don't know how how privy you are to that. But what's your thoughts on on the NBA coming back? With the, I mean, uh, from a safety standpoint, I can understand the frustration and not you know just jumping right back into it. But as a player and as a competitor, and really as a just as a human being mm -hmm. i want to see it come back because i think it would we need it we do we need we need to to see you know some of the guys that this generation looks up to lebron and mm -hmm. you know Kawhi and some of them guys just curse paul yeah. get back on the court and do what they do and at the same time use that platform in front of the whole world to show how special we are not because of just basketball, just because they're good at basketball, because LeBron James is going to use his voice. He's going to use that platform for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and he's going to take our minds off of the stresses that, you know, we're going through right now. Yeah. But one thing I do want to say is that I don't want us to forget about what's going on either. Yeah. I don't want this to be something that we really hit hard for a month and then we forget about it and we right back to it. I really want change. Yeah, and one of the things that I've been uh, moved to do is I'm, I'm, I've been seeing a lot of coaches talk about it, but I, I put I'm, I'm gonna make my guys register to vote. I'm gonna make them. Okay. Uh, you know, if they haven't done it, I yeah. put it in the group. We put it in the group chat the other day and, and put the website in there to make them do it on their own. But when they get back on campus, uh, if they haven't done it yet, they're gonna sit in a computer lab, and we're gonna every coach is gonna make sure they at least register. That's and, dope. Uh, November third, when the poll comes open, I'm gonna make sure my guys are in line. Yeah, and, put them all and, on the bus. And bring that sticker back <laughs> showing me that they have at least voted. You know, I'm not going to force them to tell them who to vote for, but, yeah. you know, I want to encourage them to do the right things and make sure they're educated enough to what policies, what we need to get changed. But, uh, I mean, this is what this is where we at, you know, and I, I, I'm not sure that I, I can't control the world. I can't control Nashville, but I can make sure that the people that I, my uh, guys that I, I'm over mm -hmm. are, are, are very uh, very educated in what's going on in the world and make sure that they're in position to do what we're supposed to do. And yeah. hopefully other, other coaches do the same. Definitely, yeah. To your point, I mean, I feel like we always come to this point where we got a big issue that comes about. We're, we're on it, you know, we're protesting, we're making changes, but it's only it only lasts a month. It only lasts two months. I want that to fade away and I want it to be, you know, just something that we embody as a culture, you know. I don't want to just see Black Lives Matter when something goes wrong. You know, I want it to be something that we always embody and that we never forget. I grew up in Ferguson, um, you know, so where Mike Brown was killed, where they were protesting, all that's my negative woods, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, it destroyed me to see the community go down because of, of that issue. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it, that's, that's what it was, you right. know, so Ferguson just elected their first, um, first mayor that's African-American and she just happens to be a woman as well. So, you know, those type of things that people go out and vote, you know, that, that'll be dope. So, you know, I definitely commend you on, on taking the, the lead on that, man, to make sure your guys get out and vote. Cause the younger generation needs to hear that, you know, they need to know that they need to get out and vote. 
come November, and that's the only way change is going to happen. So definitely commend you on that. Um, Want to switch back a little bit, get back to, to basketball. Um, so at Tennessee State, you guys are in the Ohio Valley Conference? Yes. Okay. And talk a little bit about that as far as, um, you know, some of the teams that you guys face that you, you can you contend with, you know, the, the struggles that you might have within the conference. Um, you know, just talk a little bit about that. Oh, well, our league is, is, is extremely strong, man. We got some really good teams, some really good coaches. Um, a, really, the OPC has produced a lot of pros as well. Um, okay. even, this, even this year, we had maybe five guys into the name into the draft, even though I believe the majority of them took their names out the draft, but they, they're all going to be, you know, potential NBA guys okay. uh, at some point. So uh, the teams, you know, obviously my alma mater, Belmont, they went to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Demi Murray, Murray State have pretty much been the, pre- 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 premium, <laughs> the premium teams in the league, man. They've, yeah. Every year they've been one, two, you know. Okay. Uh, Austin P has, has been in the mix. Um, they got, uh, you know, a new coach, Coach Figure, who's doing an unbelievable job. Uh, he's new. He's going into his third or fourth year now. Okay. You know, it's fourth, fourth, fourth or fifth year. And in East Kentucky as well, um, they got a good new coach. Me and uh, A.W. Hamilton came into the league at the same time, and, and their program's on the rise. Uh, Jacksonville State, uh, Ray Harper, legendary coach, who's, who's won almost 500-plus games um, at, at Jacksonville State. Uh, UT Martin, Barry, uh, Barry Stewart, um, unbelievable coach as well. Another yeah. great league. Great team in the league. Uh, his son, Parker Stewart, the NBA player, you know, he transferred in from Pittsburgh and averaged over 20 points a game this year. Wow. And then, I mean, I could go on and on. Moorhead State's got a good program with Coach Preston. And I mean, it's just a really, really good league, man. Uh, yeah. Overseas is tough, and uh, every game is a tough game. It's not like one of those leagues where, uh, oh, I, we know we got a night off tonight. Right, right. Every, every game is tough, you know. Looking at what happened here lately with uh, Belmont's Dylan Winter went, in the first round, and then John Morant went number two pick. Um, so it just kind of tells you well, how how talented the league is. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, uh, with Belmont, Drew Hanlon from he's from St. Louis. You know, NBA decorated NBA trainer. Now you know he's taking the game and ran with it. Uh, have you had any type of conversations or anything with him? Um, yeah. With you two being alums. Yeah, that's like my little brother right there. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, Drew's a good guy, man. He's uh he he knows his stuff. Hard worker. Um, yeah, Drew is uh the one thing I like about him is that like um as elite as of a of a trainer he is, he's an elite person too. Yeah. Um, he's not the type of person that you can call and he'll he's in a position that you could call him and you know he could kind of like maybe brush you off. I'll get back with you whenever I get back with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's somebody that can be selfish with his uh, information that he has to give. Yeah. He doesn't have to be so giving. And uh, that's one of the most giving people that I've ever been around. You call him, he'll give you whatever he's got. Yeah. He'll make any phone call he can for you. Uh, i never forget when I was at East Tennessee State, he was uh, training. At that time, he was training Jordan Clarkson uh, from Missouri mm-hmm. a lot. And I remember seeing that on Instagram or Twitter that he was training him. So I called Drew and I said, Drew, I – I see you training Jordan Clarkson, man. They got a kid named Deuce Bello that works out, work, goes to Missouri as well. Mm-hmm. Man, you think you can get me on the phone with him? Oh, yeah, yeah, Penny. I'll, I'll call you back. Man, I'm, I'm talking about it wasn't two minutes later. He, he, he 
he had Deuce Bellow on the phone with me. Nice. And uh, we ended up signing Deuce, you know, uh, okay. at East Tennessee State. And he had a great great last year at, uh, at East Tennessee State for us. But, um, but Drew Hamlin, like, that's just an example of, you know, what, he, you know, what he's willing to do, man. You know, yeah. I want to get a drill from him or something like that or a workout. You see how given he is, where he's making apps and giving his workouts away and showing yeah. people how to do it. And he doesn't have to do that. Uh, it's, uh, it's unheard of. Yeah. So um, he, he's innovative, and I'm glad that I'm glad I got him in my contacts and I can use him as a resource whenever I need him. But um, he's one of the up, he's not really an up and comer now. He's becoming an OG of the game. You yeah, know, he, it's true. <laughs> I, but I did I do remember when he first kind of started, and he, you know he wrote a book in high school. I mean, the kid, yeah. <laughs> the kid is a. Uh, is a special young man, and you know I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm glad I know him, and I'm glad I can get to him whenever I need him. Nice, nice. So uh, I, I do. I, I want to be very conscious of your time. Um, you know, I guess got a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, from a daily grind perspective, uh, you know, throughout the season, you know, whether it be conference, non-conference games, uh, can you shed a little light as far as what what's a typical day like? You know, for for a Tennessee State player, you know, from early morning shoot around or workouts to class, you know, what's what's a normal day look like for for that athlete? Well, I would say, you know, usually most of our guys have to get up in the morning and we eat breakfast in the locker room. So we had we had that going on, and they they had to eat before before nine o'clock. Okay, uh, they have an eight o'clock class or 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 ten thirty class. That's that's on them, um, but they had to still get in and eat. And then usually after we after they eat, they go to class and there's some type of study hall, you know, scattering in in their in their, in their day at some point. If they have a break, they would they may get a 45 minute study hall. But usually it's uh usually it's um you know maybe after lunch. Then they'll they'll eat lunch of course. Okay. Uh, after lunch we usually got some type of weights, you know, as a team. That's when we first start our team thing. But I need to pause for a second because they have to check in the office before one o'clock every day. Okay. Uh, they we make sure we see them. We want to see them at least once before before practice starts. So I don't want I don't want my first time to see them to be at practice all day. Yeah, gotcha. so it go, goes back into the relationship thing with our guys. So we spend, okay. a, we spend a lot of time with our players. Uh, so they do check in the office before one o'clock. Uh, most of them we may see them at breakfast, but if we didn't see them at breakfast, then they have to come back over and check in. You know. Gotcha. So uh, usually we then we'll have weights. I mean, if it's in the game season, if it's in season, if we're in season and we got a game in the next two or three days, mm-hmm. we'll have some type of film on that game, you know, getting ready to prepare for that game okay. uh, before before weights usually. And then we would practice. Uh, at practice, we usually do 15, 20 minutes of some type of skill work before we even get started with practice. Gotcha. Like, like the, the players will be out there with the assistant coaches going through some stuff, you know, just some, some skill stuff, some ball handling, sometimes shooting, just depends what we need to work on that particular day. Okay. Uh, and they're broken down in groups, you know, it might be the guards, wings, and the bigs. And then we'll start practicing. After practice, we'll usually have some type of dinner or something right there in the locker room for the guys. Nice. Um, and the guys that really want to work hard, we do something called uh, like our little post-workouts. And uh, we call it grind time. We put 15 minutes on the clock. So after practice, we put 15 minutes on the clock every time. Uh, it's not mandatory, but it's for the guys who just want to put in some extra work with the coach. Right. So we'll be out there. And, and pretty much what we did 15 minutes before practice, we'll do it 15 minutes after practice, too. Okay. Uh, and it's never stressful, but, you know, just more shots, uh, you know, ball handling if you want it, you know, free throws if you want it. Sometimes we just sit in there and talk. But 
you know, I make sure my coaches when practice over, they're not just walking out, out off the court, you know, yeah. for them. They got 15 more minutes if, if, if the players want to utilize them. Gotcha. And if the players want to stay longer than that, they can too. But, uh, and then usually, you know, the day ends and we eat dinner and you're going home right around seven o'clock, you know, ready to shut it down. If a guy wants to steal some more study hall hours, he can. Okay. Uh, if he doesn't, you can go shut it down. And, and, and what I tell the players is, if you're done with your work and you got everything in, in, in store, and, and after, that's a long day right there, right? It is, it is. But if you if you want to be special, you'll come back over at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, get some more shots up on the gun. You know what I mean? That's, that's the killers. You know, or, or in that morning, you get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and get in, get in and get some shots up on the gun, you yeah. know, on your own. You know, so is, that, the, is, is the gym accessible to them? Or, yeah. I mean, do they have a key card where they can just go in when they, when they need to? Yeah, we got 24-hour access to our gym. Okay, perfect. I can get in there whenever they want to. So, you know, it's no excuses. There's no excuses to be great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's one of the special things that we have going on for us that, you know, we got a coaching staff that's it's not necessarily young. Young not being – is not the only reason why we understand it, but we're young enough to understand them. Uh, yeah. We understand the grind and what it takes and, and to be special and to be elite. And uh, we write the prescription up. Them guys just got to take the medicine. Right. Yeah. And I think what you, everything you literally just said, I mean, for, for – my teenagers that's going to be listening, all my high school student athletes, for them to hear what it's going to take to be successful at a Division One level. Because everybody everybody wants to play Division One, or even just Division Two, NAIA, JUCO, whatever. A student athlete is a student athlete, no matter what school you're at. And so to hear that grind, like you said, that's a long day. So even at 7 o'clock, you're finishing up. That's a long day. And if you're not mentally equipped to handle that, you're not going to make it. So everything you just said was, was perfect, you know, for guys that need to, to be able to hear that for sure. Um, so I want to end it with, um, cause like I said, I want to be very conscious of your time. Um, I want to end it with besides your father, give me your top five coaching influences, uh, whether it be someone you've directly, you know, had contact with, or, you know, just seen from afar, uh, your, yeah. your top five influences. I would say um, the first one is a guy named Cornelius Ridley, who you probably, I mean, you never heard of him. He's a high school coach in Nashville. He died a while ago, but he's a legendary coach. He coached um, the first integrated championship game in Nashville at Vanderbilt University when Pearl High played against Treadwell in 1968. And they won that game. They won the state championship. They went 30 and 30 and 0. And on that team, he had Perry Wallace, who was the first um, black player in the SEC. Okay. Vanderbilt. And also he had Ted Hal McClain, who went on to play at Tennessee State and scored uh, over uh, 2,800 points and went on to play in the NBA, in the ABA for 13 plus years. Nice. So Cornelius really is my first one. Um, my second one would be uh, Doc Shelton, who's another legendary coach right here in Nashville. Okay. Uh, won many, two state championships, uh, coached a lot of great players that went on. One of his best players he coached was Gerald Robinson, who came to Tennessee State, scored 1,000 points in two years, then went on to Georgia, University of Georgia, for his last two years. Uh, his claim to fame was he scored 64 points in, three, in three quarters. He didn't even play, didn't play the whole fourth quarter. Man, he's uh, putting some so, work in. Yeah, Gerald Robinson was a bad boy. <laughs> and, Gerald, and Gerald still plays overseas now. 
So that's two coaches. The third one would be uh, Lonnie Thompson, who I pl- who I uh, coached with at Cumberland University. Okay. An amazing guy, amazing coach. Uh, learned a lot from him. Um, and then the fourth coach would be um, uh, Mike Williams, my AAU coach that I played for. And uh, to the Tennessee Thunder, a really big-time AAU program that I played for. Okay. Uh, right here in Nashville. He gave me a leader, a lot of leadership roles and uh, learned a whole lot from him and how to be um, just a leader. Really taught me how to be a leader. Okay. And then the last coach is Jim Nonner. Um, and I really got more than five, but I'll give you five. Okay. Jim Nonner is my high school coach. Uh, he also passed away. Uh, he's a legendary coach. He uh, went on winning many state championships. I mean, he coached. He didn't win a state championship. I take that back. He coached in many state tournament games, but uh, coached over forty plus years, like my pops did, and uh, produced a lot of Division One players. And a lot of the values that Coach Nonner had is is the way I go about my business right now as well. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it, uh, Coach. I I appreciate you know you giving me the time. Um, I know it's a, a many things you could be doing, you know, so I, I appreciate you blessing us with your presence, you know, being able to share some of this knowledge. Um, you know, I definitely took a lot away from this, um, even the history aspect of it, you know, with the whole HBCUs and the history behind that, you know, with different schools and different, different players that have come out of those programs, you know, I didn't know about that, you know, so if I didn't know about it, I'm sure other listeners aren't going to know about it either. You know, so I just encourage everyone to to do your research, um, you know, and as a as a group, as a, a black race, you know, hopefully we can do better. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully you guys get a season, you know, so I can I can go through that schedule with a with the fine tooth comb and, and find games that I'm able to get to, um, you know, because I'm, I'm a basketball connoisseur. So, you know, even if I'm not able to make games, you know, hopefully you guys have be on, you know, some ESPN network where I can catch something. And, you know, I look forward to to following your journey and, and your success and hopefully see you guys in the tournament soon. Yeah, no, nah, man, I appreciate you for having me on. You know, anytime I can have an opportunity to talk about, you know, Tennessee State and push the culture and educate the young youth about what it takes to be a Division One player and, and the perception of HBCUs, man. You know, getting people to understand that uh, your dreams can come true anywhere. And uh, it all started here. We all started here. So um, there's no reason why it can't, you know, come back. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, but thanks for having me, man. And, you know, just love to see you at a game. You just let me know. Yes, sir. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Coach Collins.